So now, wait a minute, I thought we were in Ephesians. Where did the Ephesians song go? No, we ended Ephesians last week, two weeks ago, and we're starting a, a new series. This is actually a mini-series that we're going to be walking through, Mark chapter 6. And this is all in preparation for uh, October and November, and I'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But in October and November, we as a church are going to go through 50 days a prayer and fasting and a message series through the book of Nehemiah that we are asking the question, what can I do? What is it that I can do as a believer in Jesus Christ? We'll talk again uh, more about that in just a moment. But in preparation for this series, in preparation for what I believe God's going to do in our life and through our church in October, November, he's led me to Mark the sixth chapter. Here in Mark chapter six, we, we find real faith. We find faith that is tested. We find faith that, that has to overcome. We find faith that is tempted and hurt, and today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through following, which is where Jesus was rejected in Nazareth, and how our faith must respond when we are rejected. Next week, we'll be looking at the feeding of the 5,000, and how how Jesus uh, bolstered the faith of his disciples in all of this doubt and all of this turmoil, and how he bolstered their faith, and then in uh, two weeks from now, we'll be looking at the final passage there in Mark chapter 6, where uh, Jesus calmed the storm and how the faith of the disciples grew uh, through that. So we'll be looking at real faith. Today we'll be in Mark chapter 6. We'll be looking when faith is rejected. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Mark chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says he went away from there and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him, and on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Verse 7, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house and stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Father, I ask that you will speak to our hearts and lives today as we speak from your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Faith when rejected. Understand that when you live out your faith, you will be rejected for your faith. That's the first thing that we see here today is that if you live out your faith, you will face rejection. Here's a good way to never be rejected. You ready? If you don't want to be rejected for your faith, say nothing, do nothing, and attempt nothing. If you say nothing and do nothing and attempt nothing, you will never be rejected because you're not doing anything. You're not saying anything. But as soon as you say something, as, you, as soon as you start talking about Jesus, or as soon as you start living your life for Christ, as soon as you start living out your faith, you will face rejection. You'll face it. 
These people who rejected Jesus in Nazareth, it was his hometown. They were his buddies. They were the ones that he played football with when he was growing up. I mean, his, his, his doctor was there, his dentist was there, his teachers were there, his, his friends were there. And as he's gotten older, he's come back to his hometown and, and he's excited because he's going to be able to, to, to talk to the, the, the people about all that God is doing. And they rejected him. These people rejecting the scripture uh, says in verse 3, they were offended at him. They were upset. They were emotionally involved here and they rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus on, on two levels. Number one, they rejected him and attacked him personally. They hurled insults at him. They attacked him personally. If, if someone can't debate you based off of your logic and your reason, they will attack you personally. If they have no other way to attack you, they will attack you personally. They'll, they'll, they'll make it a personal attack. Notice what they said in verse 2. They, they ask a question, who is this man? Verse 3 says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? You know, people have been asking that question about Jesus from that time all the way until today. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Is he a carpenter? Well, yes, Jesus is a carpenter. He was born in the, the house of a carpenter, and he's familiar with the hammer, and he's familiar with the nails. In fact, the Bible says that he has he is constructed things. He's always constructed things. Colossians 1, Philippians 1, Hebrews 1, John 1, they, they all talk about how Jesus created the heavens and the earth. You understand that Jesus worked with his hands in the carpenter shop for the majority of his life. The 33 years that he lived on this earth, he was in the carpenter shop more than any place else. He knew how to work with his hands. He is the creator. He made everything that we know. Not only did he create the world, but listen, he's also creating you and me. He's making you and me. As a part of his family, as a part of his larger family, he, he's working on us. Even when we fail and, and we fall and we come short uh, at times through sin, he is still working on us. It's good to know that he's never finished with us, that he always, he's always working with us. Sometimes he takes the sandpaper and he begins to, to, to rub off those rough edges and it's not easy. Sometimes it hurts knocking off those rough edges, but he's always working on us. The Bible says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the carpenter lives, he created the world. The carpenter lives, he's working on us, he's creating us. But not only is he working on those, but he also is working on the church. He said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I've never been more excited about what God is doing in a church than I am right now. What God is doing in and through this body of believers is exciting. I'm going to speak about this in just a moment. But God is working on us. God is doing some things here among this body and I'm thrilled to be a part of what God is building and how God is working. Now, to understand a little bit about what has happening here in our text in Mark chapter 6, the Bible says that Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth. To understand Nazareth, you have to understand something. Nazareth in the days of Jesus, much similar as it is today, was a rejected city. It was a city that you did not want to be from. You didn't want your driver's license to say Nazareth on it because you would be rejected. This is where the scum lived. This is where the nobodies lived. This is where the outcasts lived, Nazareth. Even today, it, it, has this, it has this aura about it. But Jesus lived in Nazareth. Can you imagine that? The Son of God lived in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, a little hole in the wall, and then he was raised in this hick town called Nazareth. 
God came to earth, and he moved to this little desert oasis. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, God could have sent his son to Rome, the, the political power of the day. He could have sent his son to Rome and the majesty of the Colossus, the Roman legion, but no, he lived in Nazareth. God could have sent his son to Athens and, and all of the, the, the philosophies and the, 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 the Greek uh, debates and all of this that happened there in Athens and the beauty of the city of Athens, but no, he chose Nazareth. He could have sent his son to Jerusalem, the religious capital of the world, where all of, of the religions correlated right there in Jerusalem. God could have sent his son to live there in Jerusalem with all of these preachers, but no, not Jerusalem, Nazareth. Who is this carpenter, they asked. We know his family. They said, look, in verse 3, isn't this the son of Mary? When they said this, this was not a compliment. They were not complimenting Jesus by saying, isn't this the son of Mary? Now, in Matthew's account of this, they say, isn't this the son of Joseph? But here in Mark chapter 6, he, he asks, and he says, is this not the son of Mary? This is a very crude statement. Listen. This is not something that people, Jews in this day, they would have, he would have heard this and it would have hurt him. Why? Well, men in that day were known to be the sons of their father, not the sons of their mother. Aren't you the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Adam, the son of Jacob, the son of Jonah? Peter is, is known as, as uh, the son of Barjona. We're known by our fathers. We are the sons of our fathers. But notice what they said in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Isn't this the son of Mary? You know what they did there? He's saying they're sliding Mary, first of all. They're saying that she's a harlot, that she's a prostitute. And above and beyond that, they're calling Jesus illegitimate. You don't even have a dad. You don't even know who your dad is. Aren't you the son of Mary? They slandered him. They, they, they hurt him. And you better believe that that hurt Jesus. In his humanity, that hurt him. Taking this and, and understanding that Joseph was his, was his stepdad and Mary was his mom. And, and now they're, they're, they're hurling these insults at Jesus. They attacked him personally, personal slander. They also attacked him spiritually. They didn't just reject Jesus for what he did, but what he believed. As long as he stayed a carpenter, everyone was fine. As long as he didn't start talking about his faith and talking about God, everybody was okay. We're, we're, we're cool, Jesus. Just don't, just don't talk about the, that religious stuff. Just don't talk about God. Don't talk about your relationship with the Lord. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I'm cool with you. Come hang out with me as long as you don't talk about religion. Don't, don't talk to me about God. You want to talk about work? Let's talk about work. You want to talk about sports? Let's talk about sports. You want to talk about the weather? Hey, come on. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about those things, but don't bring up God. As soon as he brought up God, everything went kapoom. They rejected him. That's when everything changed. Over in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 4, this account is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Luke chapter 4, where the same account is mentioned in Luke, they said that Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach about a relationship with God and how they had to repent. He wasn't religious enough. They got mad. They said, you're not religious enough to heal everyone. Or he was too religious because he was performing miracles. 
And it was the religious people that began to attack him. The people that should have been supporting Jesus, the people that should have been undergirding, the people that should have been lifting up his head were the ones that were calling him out, rejected him. So they got ticked off and they moved Jesus. They, they brought him out of the city of Nazareth. They took him up on the mountain. They, they tried to push him off the mountain. Now, if Jesus had done something wrong, if Jesus had sinned, then by all means, the religious community should have called out his sin. But Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. He was following God. At times, this hurts, and it hurts really bad. It wasn't enough in Mark chapter 3. If you read Mark chapter 3, his family rejected Jesus. Jesus went to his family. His family did not receive him. Mark chapter 3 tells us that his family pushed him out. Here in Mark chapter 6, his friends push him out. Again, his family pushes him out, but, but everybody began to push Jesus out. And listen, I understand that there are some here today and your family has pushed you out. Your, your family has rejected you because of your faith. And that hurts, I get that. Your friends have rejected you because of your faith. I understand that, I get that. Jesus lived through the same thing. But a safe place should be church, right? A safe place should be the religious community. A safe place, we should be able to come here and, and worship and, and be accepted, but... That's not always the case, is it? Sometimes we're re rejected on the spiritual level. Jesus was. Jesus went into the church of the day and he began to talk to them about God and, and they pushed him out. He, 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 was, he was too fanatical. Get out of here. You know, I don't understand it, but at times it's the religious folk that like to throw the stones. I don't understand that. I don't know if it's jealousy. I don't know if it's their own insecurity. But understand this. When you attempt great things for God, you will be rejected. You will face rejection. And Satan will use friends. He will use family. He will even use friends in, in a religious context to, to come against you and to, to hurt you and to try to harm you. Here's the point of this. Do not put your faith in men. Don't put your faith in men. You put your faith in a man, you're going to be let down. Men, even religious men, are sinners. Even women, religious women, are sinners. You put your faith in men, you're going to come up empty. You say, what do I do? If I'm going to have real faith, if I'm going to grow my faith, and I'm going to live this kind of faith, how am I to live? Well, that's a great question, and Jesus shows us and tells us. He tells us what our response must be. Our response is a pure reliance on God and a determination not to quit. We must face rejection with faith, real faith. Not trusting in, in a man, not trusting in, in a person, not trusting uh, in, in, in someone that we love, but we must rely on God. We must rely on God. Our reliance must be on him. Jesus left this scene being rejected in Nazareth. Now, what did he do? When he left Nazareth back after being rejected, after being told his mama is a prostitute, after being told he was an illegitimate child, he received all of this, and what did he do? Did he, did he go in a closet and cry? Did he throw his hands up and say, all right, I, I give up? I'm done with this. These people, I, I could care less. I'm going to sit back here on this pew and, and I'm just going to ride this thing out. I'm not going to make any more mention of God. I'm not going to pursue the dream that God has placed in my heart. I'm just going to give up. I'm going back to Bethlehem where I was born. Or I'm going back to Jerusalem. Or I, I'm going back to Galilee and I'm just going to give up. Is that what he did? 
No. What did he do? He stepped out on faith. He continued pushing. He continued searching. He continued walking. He, he left Nazareth and he said, all right, if you don't want to believe, we'll go to find people who will believe. Your Bible says in verse 7, he sent the disciples out. In verse 8, he says, don't take any food, don't take any water, don't take anything else with you. Why? Why would Jesus tell his disciples not to take anything? Again, because he's teaching them a lesson. When rejected, do not rely upon man. Rely upon God. Your reliance must be on him. He's teaching his disciples this truth. The best way to fight rejection from outside is, is to remember who you're ultimately working for. You're not ultimately working for your boss. You're not ultimately working for your spouse. You're not ultimately working for your kids or your parents. Your ultimate boss is God. And so if I'm living my faith, if my faith is going to be real, if my faith is going to grow, then I must live according and living for an audience of one. Your job is to glorify God, period. What he's called you to do, he will provide everything in his power to give you so you can do what he's called you to do. These Nazarenes, they said he's a carpenter. They knew him by his work of the flesh, but they could see with their eyes. Their motto was a common motto of the day. It's even a motto that we hear today. What you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. But listen, there's an invisible world beyond us that, that we cannot see with physical eyes. We can't see with the human eye. We can't see it with our physical eye. We, we have to only see it by faith. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, he talks about this. He said, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. The world says seeing is believing. The world says seeing is believing, but God says believing is seeing. You see what we did there? The world says in order for you to believe, you've got to see it. Thomas, doubting Thomas, after Jesus was resurrected, they said, I'm not going to believe that. I saw him die. I saw his body taken off that cross. I saw him placed in that tomb. There's no way Jesus is alive. He's dead. I will not believe it until I see it. Oh, Thomas. Haven't you learned anything? That's the motto of the flesh, isn't it? I'll believe it when I see it. But Jesus has taught us something revolutionary. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. The vision that God has placed on your heart. The motivation, the dream that God has placed on your heart. That is seeing. That is seeing with spiritual eyes. We believe in God in spite of our circumstances all around us. It may look like you're in the fourth quarter and, and you're going to lose the game and everything is gone and, and, and your life is spiraling out of control and you're living your faith the best way you can. And it looks like from the doctor's report, it looks like uh, from the marriage front, it looks like from every front that you're facing, it looks like it's all gone. It's all over. There is no way that God can reconcile this marriage. There is no way I'm going to be able to be healed from this cancer. There is no way that God is going to be able to do anything. It's in those moments that our faith, when it's strong, God shows up. And I've seen God do some remarkable things. I've seen God do awesome things. I've seen God do things that baffles science. I've seen God do things that baffles marriage psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors, taking people that were so hateful to one another and breaking their heart and bringing that relationship back together. 
from all physical aspect and everything that we saw with our physical eyes, there's no hope. But we can't just look with physical eyes. Jesus is teaching this to his disciples. You can't just look with your physical eyes. You've got to look through spiritual. You've got to look through the heart because you see believing is seeing. John chapter 11. Uh, Jesus, right before he performed the great miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, he said, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. I cannot imagine anything greater than that. Can you? If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. What could be better than to see the glory of God? Do you want that? Do you really want to see the glory of God and all of his power? If you don't, listen to me, if you don't want to see it, there's going to come a time in your life when you want to see it. When you're down on your luck, when nobody's around, when the marriage is falling apart, when you get the pink slip at work, when you get that report from the doctor that everything's not okay, in those moments when you're all alone, when the disciples find themselves, in two weeks we'll see when they find themselves out in the middle of the ocean and, and all hell is breaking loose, it's at that moment that you will want to see at that point the glory of God. You will want to see him in all of his power, in all of his might. To see God, to experience God, to be in his presence. And the way to see God, the way to know God, is not by getting it all figured out, not seeing with the physical Not by seeing what's around us, but by believing. Jesus said here, uh, Mark is is recounting, and he said, look at it. He said in verse 5, and he could not do any mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few. And he marveled, verse 6, he marveled because of their unbelief. They saw with their physical eyes. They saw him perform miracles, but it wasn't enough. You see, when you look through the physical, your flesh can never be full. When you look through physical eyes, you can never fill the you can never fulfill the lust of the flesh. Your flesh wants more and more. Give me more proof. Give me more proof. I hear these atheists say all the time, show me that God exists. I say, look in the mirror. But even if we could give them tangible evidence, it's not going to be enough. Why? Because the flesh can never be satisfied. I wonder how many here, God is not able to work in your life. Jesus cannot work in your life because of your unbelief. How many people here are, are astonishing God, amazing God? He marveled at their unbelief. How many people here, God is in heaven marveling. He's amazed. He's astonished because of our unbelief. You say, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. You have no idea what what it is to be me and and to experience a moment in my life. No, friend, I don't. But I do know this, that no matter what may come your way, you, you must encounter it not with unbelief, but with belief, not with physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes, with faith. When rejection comes your way, whether that's through a person, whether that's through a job, whether that's through a circumstance, when you are rejected, you encounter that rejection, you, 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 you come against that rejection with faith. Reliance upon God. Not reliance on self, not reliance on a person, but reliance on God. Number two, our response is not only a pure reliance on God, but secondly, we don't quit. Don't quit. They learn a lot from Jesus here. 
They saw him being rejected in Nazareth. His disciples were with him. He heard them talk about those, those, uh, his mom, and he, he, they, they, they saw all of that, and then they also saw his actions. They, Jesus didn't crawl into a corner. Jesus didn't say, I give up. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, all right, this is done. We're, we're, we're finished. I'm, I'm done with this. But no, he, he went out. Verse 11, when you go out into a house, if they reject you, leave there and go to the next place. Don't quit. He said, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. Notice what he says. Let, let's read verse 11 again. Notice what he says. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. That's odd, isn't it? When do you normally dust off your shoes? When you go into a house or when you come out of a house? Well, when you go into a house. When you walk into a house, that's when you you dust off your shoes. Why, Why do we do that? Out of respect, yes. They bought a welcome mat, so if they're going to invest in a welcome mat, we should use it. Yeah. The reason why we do this before we go into a house, what are we saying? We're saying, what I got out here in the world, what I brought with me of the world, I don't want to bring into your house. You following me? What I got out in the world, what's on my shoes, I'm going to wipe off what's in the world before I come into your house. Now, Jesus said that if they reject you, you leave their house and you wipe off your shoes as you leave. And notice what he said. As a testimony against them, verse 11. So what's he saying? When you come into a house, what you're doing, you're wiping your feet off because what you got out in the world, you don't want to bring into the house. But Jesus said if they reject you, if they bring negativity against you, if somebody says something or does something that, that, that comes against you in your faith, he said what you receive in that house, you wipe off your shoes because what you got in that house, you don't want to take with you when you go out in the world. It's pretty good, isn't it? We don't carry the negativism with us. We don't take, we don't take what we received in that house. If, if somebody rejects us, we don't walk around moping around and saying, oh, my, my mom rejected me or my dad rejected me or my, my, my kids rejected me or, or my husband rejected me or my, my job rejected me. No, what I received there, I wipe off and I say, you know what? What I got here, I'm not going to carry this with me. I'm leaving it behind me. God is too good. God is too great. I'm, I'm, God has a great purpose and plan for my life, and I'm not going to take this junk with me when I go out in the world. You've got to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. As the theologian Elsa, you know, let it go. Let it go. Thank you. You receive this negativity, and you say, I'm turning it back, and I'm dusting it off. You don't look back. Real faith does not slow down in the face of opposition. Did you hear that? Real faith does not slow down in the face of opposition. If your faith is growing in the Lord, somebody's going to oppose you. You're going to be rejected. But real faith, it doesn't move. It doesn't shake. When somebody comes against you or something comes against you, you keep moving. You keep relying on God. You don't quit. I ask you this morning, what are you believing God for in your life? What are you asking God to do? What are you believing God for? 
are you only looking through the physical or are you venturing into the spiritual? Because I can guarantee you that when you begin to try to attempt to do great things, when you begin to talk about what God is going to do or what you believe that God can do through your life, through your marriage, through your work, you're going to have opposition come against you. You're going to have people tell you that you're too old or too young. You're going to hear people say that you're not smart enough. You're going to hear people say that you're not tall enough or you're, you're too short. You're, you're not good enough, that you're not pretty enough, that you're not educated enough. Stop listening to those voices and begin to listen to the voice of God. Begin to trust him, trust him by faith. In Nazareth, the Bible says they, he, he couldn't do any uh, miracle there. You see that in verse 5? He could do no mighty work there. That doesn't mean that Jesus was bound, that he couldn't do it, but it means that he wouldn't do it. He performed miracles. The Bible says he performed miracles in Nazareth. Is Jesus not performing great works in your life? Because of your unbelief. Because you quit. Because you said, you know what? Somebody came against me or something happened and, 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 and it was wrong. And so I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. That, that's, that's the motto of so many Christians in church. Somebody hurt me. Somebody harmed me. Somebody said, if, if I quit every time somebody said something against me or my family, I wouldn't be standing here today. Sometimes it happens on a daily basis. You know what? You know what? When people attack you for your faith, they're not attacking you. You've heard this before, haven't you? When you share your faith and they turn you down, they're not turning you down. They're, who are they turning down? The Lord. All you Don't think of yourself so high and mighty. You're not all that. You're not that great. And when you start thinking about yourself, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. When I don't think of myself so great, when somebody rejects me, no big deal. If it's God, if it's the Lord. You know, my pastor, Jack Ram, he taught us this. He taught us young preacher boys this. He said that when somebody rejects you or somebody says something against you, there's always often a kernel of truth in that rejection, in that criticism. You spend as much time, instead of spending your time worrying about the criticism, you, you find that kernel of truth. You dig down, and, and sometimes it's hard to find it. But oftentimes it's there. You find that kernel of truth, and you apply it to your life, and then you throw away the rest. It's like eating a watermelon. You, you eat the watermelon, you spit out the seeds. You can't be focused on the negativity. You cannot be focused on the rejection. You must rely on God. You must not quit. We serve a really big God, church. A really big God. I've seen God do amazing things. He's, he's done things in your life. He's done things in my life. He's doing things in and through this church. I want to share with you what I believe that God is doing. The purpose of these three messages in Mark chapter 6 is to prepare us for what I said earlier through October and November. 50 days of prayer and fasting. Seven weeks, we're going to walk through the book of Nehemiah. And I have finished and I've written this book entitled, What Can I Do? And this book is it's going to be out next week. And it's meant, this book is meant to be a supplement to what we're doing as a church body through these next seven weeks, through these messages through Nehemiah that we're going to hear on Sunday morning, we're going to hear in our life group, everything is going to be revolved around what can I do? 
Now, we're going to sell this book starting next week. It's going to be on Amazon. It'll be on Kindle if you have a Kindle. Uh, I'm not receiving, listen, I am not receiving a penny from any sale of this book. I don't believe that's right anyway. Every, every dime that is raised through the sale of this book, every penny that we raise is going uh, straight to Aloma 2020 to pay down the debt of the church. That's why we're selling this book for $1,000. You think I'm joking. <laughs> we have 300 coming and we're going to sell out. <laughs> no. The book will be uh, $10. We'll start selling it next week. And the, po- the point of this, the whole point of the, the seven weeks of prayer and fasting, the whole point of the book, the whole reason why we're going to be going through this in our life group, is because I'm convinced that the majority of Christians have no clue what their purpose in life is. They have no concept of what God's will is for their life. People say, My, well, if I were to ask you right now, what is God's will? What is God's purpose for you? Some may say, well, to get married or to, to be sober. And, and those, are, those are good things, but God has a much bigger plan for you. God has a much bigger plan for you. And my heartbeat what keeps me awake at night, and, and Sarah can attend, I, I stay awake at night. Oftentimes, I cannot sleep because I'm so excited about what I'm seeing God do here at Aloma Church. People that, 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 that the world says, you can't reach the younger generation. You can't reach the 30s and 40-somethings. You know who we're reaching as a church? Those that they say we can't reach. The fastest growing segment of the population of Aloma Church, the average median age is 34 years old. A group of people that they say, we can't reach them. They're not interested in church. Well, God's bringing them to us. God's bringing them to us. You can't reach senior adults. Well, you know what? God's bringing them to us. Our children's building is so full on Awana on Wednesday nights that we're having to branch out in the boat right center because we don't have enough room. We're, we're having to, when we do our, our family night of worship, we have to go over the boat ride center because we don't have enough room in the, the children's building to do it. God is doing some amazing things here at Aloma Church. God is, is booming and, 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 and blessing. Can't you see it? And it has nothing to do with me. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. But we are his vessels. We are his tools. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And here's what I know. That if only 20% are doing 80% of the work, and that's typical. But what would happen if 80% of the people got involved? 90% of the people. 100%. You want me to tell you what's going to happen? God has given me a real vision. It's not happened yet. And what, God, what I see, what I see coming for this church is exciting. I, it gets me so, I, I can't sleep. Because I see this church reaching this community that we're placed in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I see these 250,000 people within five miles of this campus being reached with the gospel of Jesus. And our church being on the forefront of reaching them with the gospel of Christ. These 100,000 college kids that live within 10 miles of our campus, I see see it. I see it as if it's, it's right here in front of me. 
And I would be doing this church an injustice if I just said, okay, everything's good. You just sit right there and I'll do all the work. Don't you worry about anything. I'd be doing you and this church a disservice. So I'm asking, what can I do? What can you do?